committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush. And I am Connor Cornelius. And we are so excited to be back with you for another week of Chicago Film Conversation. We're, we're a couple weeks removed from uh, a movie that people have been talking about to death. Um, and I'm sure that many people listening to this might be tired of it. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ninth film from Hollywood legend Quentin Tarantino making a big splash um on i will say a lot of reports are saying it's his biggest opening it's his biggest opening unadjusted for inflation but still in terms of dollar amount unadjusted it's his biggest opening um it's been getting lots of rave reviews but also some very scathing reviews from very specific uh critics um i mean he's no stranger to that he has always been a controversial filmmaker really I mean, in a sense, um, if anybody's ever seen him go on like a late night show, like before the premiere, uh, uh, right before the premiere, he went on like Jimmy Kimmel and uh, did an interview. And, um, you know, if anybody, if you've ever watched him give an interview, it's kind of excruciating in a way. Yeah. Um, and th- I'm, let me get this out of the way. I'm a big fan of Quentin Tarantino. Would you film. still say that he's like one of your favorite, if not your favorite filmmaker? I would say so um his movies i think hold a very special place in my in my heart and um i think it's some of the best stuff to come out of the 90s especially and some really great stuff in the 2000s as well and he's a great resource too honestly man like yeah just such a great gateway to all of these other different types of like he grew up loving black exploitation films and you know kung fu movies and everything and just if you watch any of his movies and you'll be able to see these elements in earlier iterations of the things that he was influenced by right and it'll lead you back to some of these original sources and get you into a lot of stuff that you might not have ever really seen or considered to be great cinema and it really he's a he he's an a a wellspring of of film knowledge and let's just not kid ourselves here if you want to talk about movies and if you consider yourself somebody that likes movies odds are quentin tarantino is on your radar or has popped up in conversation about the film He's pretty much inextricable from the contemporary film discussion. Right. Which, to some people, it's to much people's chagrin, um, because obviously over the last few years uh his legacy has been super complicated because of his very close working relationship with harvey weinstein um there was a piece in the new york times uh from uma thurman uh, or rather interviewing uma thurman talking about his behavior on set and the way that he treats his actors specifically uh calling into question the way that he treats uh women on set and uh his his proclivities 
towards uh towards women and um even before that like calling into question his use of violence which is something that people still to this day have uh an issue with so he has always been a um a controversial figure i recognize that and i'm not saying that he is a perfect person i really am a fan of his movies i really find his uh cinema to be invigorating and fascinating and uh especially when he came onto the scene as being part of this generation of filmmakers like P.T. Anderson and Steven Soderbergh. Um, He was a fresh new voice in independent cinema, and he was making movies that people, that just shocked people and um, were a shot in the arm for a lot of cinema goers. So that all being said, we're now on his ninth feature. Yep. According to him, his penultimate feature. Um, he plans on making one more. According to him, he says he wants to maybe write plays, maybe produce, maybe do maybe other write things. Some books. Maybe write some books. But he says that uh, he's given all that he can to cinema in terms of being a director. So minus one, right? He's making one more. Yeah, minus one. Um, so it's really interesting to look at this. Uh, look at this feature in that context um and i'm gonna throw this out here right now if you haven't seen this movie yet just uh skip ahead yeah got a great interview coming up a little bit later in the show we're going to talk about this uh all the plot elements it's been out for a while now um you know if you don't want to hear about it in this much detail um you know maybe fast forward to a little bit later um we're going to be talking about this full-blown spoilers what have you although you know, I hate that spoiler. And like, who, who true, cares? Right. I mean, we're going to be talking about the movie. It just goes without saying. It just goes but without saying. I'm kind of excited because I think we're going to have our first argument in yeah. like 70 episodes or something. Yeah. Not less than that. But yeah. No, I mean, I think we've disagreed on things, but I think <laughs> as we've been kind of like talking about this here and there before now i think we realized that there are some sticking points to this to this movie that um that we both have that are really just not in conjunction with one another which i'm glad it's it's exciting to um not see eye to eye yeah not see eye to eye i think i think there's um something to be said about that so connor um tell me what you thought about once upon a time in hollywood i thought it was okay i thought it was an entertaining movie that that frankly is and i've only seen it one time and i will say that my experience in the theater was slightly frustrating and we can get into that in a little bit if it's Mm -hmm. relevant but uh at the end of the day i've really found some things that i think are pretty problematic that i that i have been having trouble coming to terms with and trouble justifying especially given my own love for his movies and i've really enjoyed everything that he's come out with and i think that he is a champion for film and i i think that he is really you know he will go to bat for it and so for him to be such a big part of my life growing up and everything to watch this movie and to feel the things that i did is troublesome okay um tom what did you think about the movie okay um i think it is great i thought it was a really great movie i know i'm not um alone in this i think uh there's i'm not a huge believer in consensus but uh there seems to be a consensus that this is a really great movie um and i found it to be a 
a fascinating rumination on getting older, becoming irrelevant, and what happens when the things that you're interested in are no longer interesting to other people. Um, and as a work of sort of historical revisionism, I think it gives um, a different take on the one of the most notorious crimes of the 20th century in America, the uh, Manson murder, this Manson murder, specifically Sharon Tate. Um, you know, they don't go they don't go into LaBianca, um, which happened literally, I want to say the day after, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Manson family killed right. uh, a couple um, in Hollywood, but this is specifically dealing with the more infamous of the two, which is the murder of Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, um, Abigail uh, Folger, and um, heirs one, to the Folger fortune, heirs to the Folger fortune. And, um, one of Roman Polanski's friends who, unfortunately, I, I apologize. I don't remember his name. Um, but, um, you know, they killed, he killed three like super rich, super well, you know, really well known Rather people. Said they, yeah, killed them. They killed them. Um, and I think there has been, I think there are conversations to have in this movie uh or, or rather about this movie that are important yeah. one of the things that i don't think needs to be conversed about is the treatment of the manson family i really th- there there has been on I, there was a moment on film twitter and let me get this out here i think film twitter is a silly place i really think it is it's this kind of among among the great voices that are out there in film twitter talking about cinema in a really interesting way it's just a cavalcade of people with hot takes or seemingly hot takes that are really just kind of weak as shit and stupid um, and really just an attempt to garner attention, whether positive or negative. That's just how it is. Um, that's the that's the fucking internet for you. It's just takes um, without any sort of like backup. And so I'm, you don't think that talking about the, the treatment of the Manson family is important to the discussion because well, i disagree I, th- I really i really don't know what there is i don't know what there is to say um i really because the, there was this there was this idea that oh wow the manson those those manson people got treat you know the treatment of the manson girls was really poor and i'm like really are we making excuses for for historically they're they're playing historical people they're playing like right. you can you can go on the internet and be like oh um uh margaret qualley was playing this manson girl uh dakota fanning was playing this manson girl um what's her name from from the show girls uh, who lena dunham lena dunham um she's playing this manson girl so they're playing historical figures who walked into a house killed four people and actually five people they don't even mention in the movie um that they would have killed uh there was a fifth person that was killed in a in a jeep essentially it was an 18 i want to say like an 18 year old kid was killed in a jeep who was just visiting um killed five people with impunity and complete brutality uh granted under the direction of a cult leader and a white supremacist but they did it nonetheless um right and i understand there are more yes there are more nuanced conversations to have about what was happening 
with like the cult aspect of the Manson family and were they in the right state of mind? Could they plead insanity? Blah, blah, blah. I get that. But what this movie is to me, that set that portion of the movie, which is almost entirely separate in a way from the rest of what's going on. Uh, that's but it fascinating. rings out as his statement. Uh, I mean, his state, his statement that- is that Sharon Tate was killed in cold blood. We're going to allow Undo Sharon that. Tate to, we're going to allow Sharon Tate to live and just go through a, a normal day sure. being breezy sunny Sharon Tate sure. and uh, the Mansons are going to be stopped now the level of brutality if that is uncomfortable with you stop watching Quentin Tarantino movies because it is no more or less brutal I really think that anything he's ever done to anyone else in a lot of his movies we're talking about Can a I dr- respond to that yes okay I I I basically, I generally agree. Yeah. Um, I think that Quentin Tarantino throughout all of his movies has shown an obsession of uh, killing people who he deems deserving of death. Yeah. Revenge is more or less like his That's the guiding goal. principle through almost all of his cinema. Right. And for the most part, they are, the people that he's dealing with are just plain bad people that are doing things of their own volition. It's Reservoir Dogs. You have the gangsters. It's Pulp Fiction. And, you know, they are working for, you know, they are doing things and they have a choice of, of doing it. You know, Jackie Brown, they want to steal the money. And Samuel Jackson wants to kill people. You have uh, Kill Bill, where Bill wants to kill uh, the unnamed character because, you know... Well, she, she does have a name. Well, she does have a name, but... <laughs> the Bride. People haven't seen it. The Bride. Um, you know, Kill Bill 1 and 2. Bill does these horrible atrocities to them, and they literally say in that movie that she deserves to die, and so do they, and so do the other assassins in the movie. Mm-hmm. The Hateful Eight. You know, these terrible people on the countryside, slave owners in Django Unchained, Nazis in Inglorious Bastards, these people. And I would say that with like with anything, there's a spectrum, you know, certain people I am OK with watching get killed because it does feel it. It satiates this carnal side of me. But when I really stop to consider it, and frankly, I've watched all of his movies with, you know, I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching, you know, Hitler get killed because I think that he deserves it. I enjoyed watching slave owners get killed because I think that they deserved it. But when it was played, I think that, and we can really like skate over the the treatment of the Manson family in general. I do want to talk about it for a little bit more, but I think my main issue with the film is the way that Quentin Tarantino employs things for laughs. And especially in this movie, I find it the most bothersome because I don't think that he is the best person to make a statement about what these people deserved what the manson family deserved what they did was terrible and i'm not going to dispute that whatsoever and the idea of killing off the manson family at the end of the movie is a nice revision because it would have let sharon tate continue to live and i'm not in any way saying that that's a bad thing but for me when i stop to think about it and i've always been staunchly against the death penalty to watch the level of brutality and to be surrounded by all these people in this audience laughing and watching these people get torn up by dogs. It was 
not a thing where and when i go to the movie theater i want to be around people i want to enjoy the experience in a group and i could not have felt any less like connected to humanity when i was watching this because in my mind yes these people did a terrible thing but i it's my belief that they were brainwashed by this disgusting mm-hmm. cult leader much like other people in other cults have been brainwashed like i would never say that the people who died in jonestown that drank the kool-aid deserved to have that happen to them you know the level of brutality in that movie went too far for me and we can stop it there and that i just wanted to get my point out mm. because i didn't think that it was being heard but let's talk about the other aspects of the movie that yeah. i that i I guess I take umbrage with. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your read on the uh, the main meat of the movie, which right. is Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Um, yeah. And what, and what they're doing and what their journey is. See, when I said that I thought the movie was entertaining, that's the shit. That's the fucking best part of the whole movie, in my opinion. Just watching Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio... Y- be fucking charming as hell on on screen and watching leonardo dicaprio be basically unconvincing as this super uh you know falling star actor when i couldn't help but see you know because they do a lot of film in the film film within a film in the movie and then just Mm -hmm. general like being around on film set so i i had a hard time suspending my disbelief in this movie because it was just like i know that's leonardo dicaprio i know that's brad pitt it's like the the casting was just so aggressively for the the biggest stars in hollywood yeah that was something that i kind of wished as much as i love the central performances here and i think they're um very specific and i think they're going for a very specific thing um i don't like that uh quentin is kind of turned on this um his original sort of draw was that he would take people whose careers were basically almost over yeah and just totally reinvigorate them like pam greer pam greer like and i'm not i don't and you know pam greer doesn't need any favors no obviously. i think he was just he gets excited to take these people that he really admires he's like let me write a role for you john travolta may be a better example john travolta i mean well yeah john travolta was really on the skids like david carradine where was yeah. he wasn't really doing anything before kill bill like and like he was kind of like done he had been in kung fu the tv show and like some other grindhouse stuff but like you know he wasn't exactly a super working actor um you know he t- you could even say um in in reservoir dogs like lawrence bender like or or lawrence tierney who was he lawrence tierney is um he's joe right oh okay the the big wong ones. wong toby? toby toby okay for not gonna do uh <laughs> so so he takes these people i mean and now but now he's just kind of like throwing his weight around a little bit he's doing kind of what like i think jim jarmish does which or what he recently did in the dead don't die which i thought was kind of tacky which was like hey look i'm jim jarmish look how many famous people i know i know iggy pop i know bill murray i know uh right. i know uh, what it's was it the rizza strange <laughs> it's it's like strange flex but okay the movie a little bit not a little not bit but the movie but but, but i honestly think that they uh, they give two fantastic performances that are really fascinating and are really representative of a specific time during the golden age of hollywood where these people were coming becoming irrelevant right like 
you know, you've got Al Pacino in there basically laying out the entire theme in your face. He's like, hey, you're getting old. They're casting you as the villain so that young dudes can beat the shit out of you. And then people will just think of you as right. the villain. And you won't be the leading man anymore. You got to go do Italian. You got to go do spaghetti yeah, do westerns. Spaghettis. And, but nobody likes spaghettis. I love that. That was a great bit, too. Well, I, cause I, I, I because think Tarantino likes spaghettis. Do you get it? Do you get yeah. it? Yeah, well, and spaghettis. A lot of spaghettis are really bad. Like yeah, they're for not, sure, or they they're not, they weren't particularly popular at yeah. times. But like you know, it's it's whatever. Because we, when we think of spaghetti westerns, like the the cultural touchstone is uh, Sergio Leone and like fucking uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Right. Which is just like, how could anybody not like Good, Bad, and the Ugly? I'm like, well, there's other spaghetti western directors. I'm sure that there made are a lot of people that could not like the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. Also, those, those we call those people idiots. Yeah. No, maybe the ugly. That's rude. <laughs> but I, I, I really thought it was a fascinating movie that um, covers a very specific time in Hollywood that clearly Quentin has a lot of reverence for. Can I ask you really quick? How did you feel about how he captured the setting of that movie? Both like just like with the characters and everything. And I mean, obviously, he did an immaculate reconstruction it of is, like the Cinerama and shit. Yeah, it is. It is shocking. It is unbelievable what him and his production designer were able to do. Yeah. Um, the production designer is actually someone really famous i don't know their name off the top of my head but they've done production design uh you know on a on a number of movies and it is you have to admire what they did here they literally recreated 1969 los angeles like los angeles i can in hollywood i i, I can't even believe it and i'm not, i don't That's even maybe know the what, biggest flex of all they fucking shut down sunset boulevard yeah for i wasn't even you know like passion movie that's yeah and i was i wasn't in big. i wasn't born in 1969 i wasn't there for la in 1969 but you could feel it like you could feel that it was a living breathing place and i think you mentioned to me recently that there were people who said that they could like smell that movie yeah like absolutely. they could like oh man i know what 1969 in hollywood smelled and like. it smells like feet <laughs> that's a, that's another thing that people i i don't know the uh, for people who have already seen this movie you know there's a, num- a number of gratuitous feet shots yeah and i think gratuitous is, is a good word for it but the thing is is that i can't tell if it's him saying well fuck it you've called me out on it like here it is yeah. or if him saying like oh you think i have a foot fetish yeah sure here it is like i i think either way it's him saying like fuck you yeah i know yeah feet. like i'm quentin tarantino here's some feet yeah um but you know whatever i i i really don't think if that bothers you it bothers you i, I mean i get that um no i don't think it's bothersome i mean not, could yeah, be, and when i say you i right, mean you're just, the the you um but i do think that there is a criticism to be had for uh what's the word indulgence <laughs> it's a super indulgent movie um but i think django unchained was just as indulgent in Absolutely. a lot of ways in terms of yeah it's like every movie since Django has been incredibly indulgent maybe even inglorious but I think that plays a little bit better well yeah because luckily he had the amazing Sally Mankey God rest her soul um still editing she, that was the last movie she edited for him was inglorious bastards and that's a movie that moves at a it's it's long too yeah but it doesn't uh, inglorious feel Bastard, like long. no it moves at a clip that is unreal for how much is going on in that movie um i i is one of the greatest film editors of all time, Sally yeah. Menke, um, and my she, my favorite of his. I yeah. can't I can't imagine him topping it at, at this point. To be yeah, honest. and I think that the editing here uh, has finally um, evened out. I think yeah. his new editor, who was Sally Menke's protege, 
um, has finally found the rhythm. Has he been doing everything since Django? Yeah, he did Django. He did Hateful Eight. He did this. Oof. Okay. Um, and so, and but you saw the progression. Django, lots of problems. Like yeah. lots of editing. He clearly the did not know and everything. Is yeah, he clearly did not know. Tooth. Yeah, exactly. And part of it has to do with the fact that I'm guessing that script was probably pretty long. Yeah. And if it has Quentin's name on it, people will make it. Like the bidding war that happened for this movie for Sony to put this one out. Sony and Columbia. Yeah, I can only was, imagine. Was insane um because uh i think this is his first one put out without the weinstein company yeah yeah uh, which uh, the hateful eight was, i don't was know if they hate i don't think they were on it were they i that's that's a weinstein picture okay it definitely is okay. it came out in 2015 that's a weinstein picture huh. um but regardless um you know i think the editing really finally found its rhythm here and it's uh and this is probably this is his longest movie and it moves on it i think it moves at a pretty good clip i think it's it i di- i wasn't bored really? throughout the, yeah i no point was i like oh this is really dragging i feel like it's a movie that is like you go in and you're like it just takes its time it's just doing its thing and you're not entirely i think i wasn't entirely sure of what was what its thing was until the very end and i was like oh this is that type of movie um i a lot of people have uh i would say very accurately paired this with jackie brown and as a hangout movie as a hangout movie that's that's the that's the word that that, that's the buzzword being thrown around social media and and a lot of criticism is as a hangout movie because i mean when's the last time you watched jackie brown uh actually like two days ago yeah there's a lot of stuff where they're just kind of like sitting yeah and just eating um, in the mall food court and walking around looking at clothes and stuff yeah and um there's all the bit with uh uh like rob robert de niro bobby yeah hanging out with uh what's her name with his with michael or uh with samuel jackson's little blonde surfer girl yeah i can't remember her name yeah it's um there there's a lot of stuff where they're just kind of like sitting around not doing anything a lot of smoking weed probably Uh, more smoking weed in that movie than any of his other. i'm home i'm high (laughs) chris tucker giving a 10 out of 10 performance hell yeah but we digress yes um so in terms of Quentin Tarantino movies, I don't think this necessarily gets in. A lot of people, some people have really given this immense yeah, praise. I've been and said seeing like, a lot. And it's, it's gotten into the top. Like people are like, yeah, this is like my top three Tarantino pictures. And Maybe my top one. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put it that high for me. I still think my top are um, Pulp Fiction. Well, and this is the problem that I run into is like. Now you second guess. It's like it, in terms of the ones that I watch the most. It would be Pulp Fiction, Death Proof, and Kill Bill Volume One. Death Proof is a great pick because it's just so consumable. Yeah, you know, it it's so e- there's something about his fr- his free form narrative storytelling style, which you know, obviously, if you're fam- if you're familiar with it, it spans over like different time periods mm-hmm. and mix and matches and stuff. It can be a little bit daunting to just put on at, on a whim. You know? yeah but, but death proof death proof is entertaining all the way it's through just, it's um, the most ridiculous slasher movie i've but I, i've ever seen but i think this is probably one of the best in terms of his post um in terms of like post sally Menke, if we're talking about django hateful eight and this this is definitely better than i think this is better than the hateful eight um yeah i think it's better than the hateful eight and i think this is it's tough because i there are parts of django i like it's just such a mess at times though yeah. i put django above this no hesitation though 
I'd have to think about it. I'd really have to think about it because Django, while Django has some really great stuff going on in it, I can't like, that's a hard movie to just put on and watch because it just, right. It's just, the editing is just a problem, but it's not the story uh, to me. It's not the characters. It's not the direction. It's like the editing and the lack of like the lack of just like getting this movie down to its essential parts. Um, Django could be a much leaner, meaner movie. Sure. And sure. It, it would be, it could possibly be in uh top three for me. If it had just, if there had been just some more choices made, to get this movie down to what are we really talking about here? I'd maybe like to see them do the roadshow kind of thing, extended edition, like they did with the Hateful Eight, because I really think that's how you should watch that movie. If they did that with Django, that would be fucking great. Like if that it, were a series, it, it yeah, it is episodic already. Maybe, maybe they'll do that. I heard they're going to do that. Maybe I heard there was tell from the editor. I think it was an interview on uh, Hollywood Reporter mm. about how he thinks that he's been hearing it, that there were talks with Netflix to release an extended edition of uh, Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. Because he cut like a whole hour and twenty minutes. Just, like uh, like uh, Burt Re- Burt Reynolds is in it. Well, Burt no, Reynolds? he's not. He was he got recast he got, because he died before you oh, even because oh, he right, was going to be. Who is it? It's, oh, James Marsden was going to play Burt Reynolds. Yeah, but they and then, cut him out. Yeah, they cut him the out entirely. Well, and I think they should leave him cut out because the joke would be lost. Because originally Burt Reynolds was going to be George Spawn. Who played by Bruce Dern. Right. And I think the joke would be lost because the joke was going to be that here is um here is Burt Reynolds playing George Spawn and then also Burt Reynolds but played by someone else. And I guess if they wanted to add it back and so I mean, there's really no harm, no foul, I suppose. But I, I think just, it would work very well as a as a mini I just, mini series. I think yeah, it could probably work in a, as a mini series. I think it would add an interesting sort of build yeah. to the movie, but I also think it works fantastically as a two and a half hour picture. Sure. Um could we get back to the things that i don't like about yeah it. go sorry i apologize no no i appreciate it I, I i want to definitely paint a picture of that i have a complicated relationship after the first viewing with this movie um but the only other thing that i wanted to talk about are and this goes in kind of in tandem with the things that i already said about the things that he plays for laughs and again a big problem that I'm having with enjoying a lot of this movie is the crowd that I was around mm-hmm. and the way that they were laughing at. And and let me say this. I respect that Quentin Tarantino is trying to pre create the reality of that setting, create the ideological and the behavioral reality of the way that the predominantly white Hollywood treated people of color and represented them in television and kind of caricaturized them. I think that that, I mean, apparently that was how it went on back then. And I'm not surprised by that at all. And I appreciate that he is going for that. Like, sure, there's racism in the movie, but it is presented as realism. My only problem with it is that it's constantly played for laughs. It's cut together like laughs. Maybe that's part of the editor's fault, but it's also part of the viewer's fault. If you're laughing at when a Mexican is, put forth in a stupid caricature way or if a native american is put forth in a caricature way and you are laughing at that representation i think that there's something that you need to examine about your relationship with these movies and and what you and what you 
I guess what you believe. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that there were so many people that I was around that were laughing at Bruce Lee's presentation in this movie. I thought that he was very heavily caricaturized. And I know that his daughter has reached out and expressed distaste over the way that he was portrayed. Um, and for a man, Quentin Tarantino, to for, who owes a lot of his, you know, career i think to kung fu movies i mean i know that he's a big fan of them i couldn't believe that he would take one of their biggest the greatest stars of the kung fu you know cinema movement and reduce him to a literal punchline i I just it 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 left a bad taste in my mouth yeah um i understand that and i think it would have been if if tarantino were willing to reach out to the family of sharon tate um, he should have reached out to the to Bruce Lee's family because yeah. he did he did reach out to Sharon Tate's family and explained what he was doing and then they gave their seal of approval. But at the same time, um, you know, and I'm saying this as a fan of Bruce Lee, I think that uh, maybe maybe it was a joke in poor. I think the best you could say was a, a joke in poor taste. But the joke is is like, wouldn't it be funny if someone kicked the shit out of Bruce Lee? right and like like that and and your mileage and your mileage will vary with that um we're also talking about uh an alternate hollywood we're also talking about a guy that may who's an unreliable point of view in terms of the whole wife murder thing right so this is basically quentin tarantino signifying on uh natalie wood's death and robert wagner and uh christopher walken like you know all about that right i do not so Natalie Wood died under mysterious circumstances on a boat that Robert Wagner and oh, okay. uh okay. and uh Christopher Walken were both on. And like the whole thing is that like dude Robert Wagner definitely killed his wife and Open Christopher secret in Hollywood. Yeah, sort of. I mean it's still technically a conspiracy. It's kind of like a th- you know conspiracy theory if you want to call it that, but um it's like Chris Wa- Christopher Walken like helped like murder natalie that's the wood conspiracy theory. yeah so that's that's so what we have here with with him is uh he's a guy that like may or may not have killed his wife like probably did but he definitely lies about it right so does it stand to reason that like he'd be lying about whether or not he kicked bruce lee's ass maybe yeah um, but does it matter does it matter? Because that's what we saw in the I movie. Gu- yeah, I guess so. Um, and and it's your qu- it's the question of inference, you know, versus implication. Um, I don't know. I just I kind of read it as like a joke, and maybe you know. I guess it's yeah. It's probably in poor taste. Like, wouldn't it be funny if someone kicked Bruce Lee's ass? Right. And you play and you put put it like that, which is probably the way that Quentin Tarantino put it. Probably thought about it, but it didn't play as didn't play super well. And um, and but, for me, and, and I want to just also say that you know, if just because I'm saying these things does not necessarily mean I'll feel the same way upon second viewing because I will watch it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's not for me that it shouldn't be for yeah. you. And well, I don't exactly, want to say that. Yeah. I don't want to like be vir- on my on a pedestal here. Yeah, you're virtue signaling yeah, as, virtue as, signal. as the religious right like, or as the conservatives like to call it, virtue signaling. <laughs> but let's talk that. about the things in the movie that were really great. And I love the way that you put it. How about how the film is a rumination on getting old and how you're interested in things that are not necessarily in the zeitgeist anymore. And then also the portrayal of Sharon Tate. My, my two favorite things yeah there was all this bs about how she didn't talk enough right and i think i think it really is bs because 
Uh, to me, I listen. I get it, and I'm I'm not saying that Quentin Tarantino is uh, absolved of any sin when it comes to working with female act with, working with uh, women on set. That's that's just a fact. I know that there is shit that goes on, and I think he has, needs to be rightly chastised for it. I just don't think that the Sharon Tate thing is really of that ilk. And I really, when we spoke about this initially, I really liked your response to why, because it was something that I was curious about as well. I was like, why Why isn't it important that she didn't get as many speaking lines as these two like super rich and wealthy people? actors but i really enjoyed your response oh yeah in terms of this is like this is just him saying like she's just gonna go through her regular day and nothing's gonna happen to her yeah you gotta hang out with sharon tate yeah because in real life she goes home she gets stabbed 16 times she's eight months pregnant she gets stabbed 16 times begging for her life and for her child right and instead what we get is sharon tate goes about her day goes sees herself in a movie people she she gets to hear people laugh at her movie because she's playing the klutz and she gets to take a photo with the theater owner and she just goes about her day has dinner at at el coyote and that's it you get to celebrate her and not the people that killed her which is the only thing that people really know about sharon tate which and that's what i liked most about it was fuck those people let's focus on her and yeah, I, I appreciated that sentence. Well, and and not to bring it back around to the brutality against the Mansons, that's the catharsis he's going th- for. Right. It is not a nuanced look at who the Mansons were. This is catharsis for maybe him, maybe for America, because it was a time that people lived in insane amounts of fear. People were literally moving out of the hills. People were going into hiding. Right. Because they they were in Hollywood because they were so fucking afraid of what could happen to them. Like people were running. So this is his, you know, admittedly non nuanced take on fuck the Mansons. They don't get to take this away. They don't get to take away Sharon. But I think in his zeal, he didn't put enough thought into it. In his zeal, he let him his indulgence run away with himself on this film in a lot of ways. Okay. That's fair. And I, there, I will just say this. I'll again add on that it's all be, mo, a lot of it is probably because of my audience that I was around, the audience that I was around. Somebody literally got up. There was this couple around us that kept the guy kept explaining to the girl why things were funny in the movie and she looked visibly uncomfortable during certain parts mm-hmm. of the movie, which mm-hmm. you get in certain circles with Tarantino fans, which is annoying, but I'll never forget it. They they both get up and after the after the movie ends and one of them goes i would have been so sad if sharon tate died and i was just like oh my god get me the fuck out of here yeah no that's gotta be that's gotta be a tough go of it see i had a different experience um i went to the music box and saw it in 70 millimeter with a bunch of yeah you saw it on thursday right but i will say i mean people were cheering during the manson scene people were like the the brutality at the very end people were cheering right and i was i'm sorry i was i was caught up in it i was just like yeah dude fucking and um you know because it's one of those things where yes this is the type of movie where it's going to appeal to your base instinct of revenge that's just how it is and um is there a nuanced conversation or story to be told about the mansons probably god we'll be here all day yeah um I mean, there are other movies that focus much more heavily on this. Like, you've got Mary Heron's uh, Charlie Says. Um, you've got the awful, 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 I, I want to say it's Hilary Duff, The Haunting of Sharon Tate. No. It's like, no. people people are just like, 
oh man so disrespectful she didn't get to talk a lot i'm like what are you talking about this is the most respectful portrayal of sharon tate i've ever seen like are you kidding go watch the haunting of sharon tate where hillary I duff i could i plays do. sharon tate and it's like it's it's all just kind of like brutality and upon sharon tate that's disrespectful that is disrespectful that's disrespectful Whoa, my voice went up two octaves then. yeah I gotta remember that. Like, you want to talk about what's what is in, is or isn't in good taste? I really, I'm not saying that the the brutal brutal violence at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in good taste, but is it uh, attempt to say, you know what, for the you know, fuck these people? Yeah, and that, they got they. I I am you know I I you know I'm let's not get into it no. because then we're getting externally right. from the movie and I, I think sometimes it gets a little bit tricky. I wanted to ask another quick question. Um, what was your take on the kind of like male gaze from the film? Because obviously the '60s were a very sexualized time. You know, characterized. I mean, by it's free... the problem. It's the problem of Quentin. Tar- it's the same problem of uh, directors more than just Tarantino. You can't peg that on Tarantino. I'm not it's, pegging it on yeah. Tarantino, but if you're going to be but it's respectful. There. It's obviously there. Tate. I, I don't know. I it's don't know. Every time pan up from her feet up to her ass up to that, you know, like that's yeah. kind of what I, I mean. Admittedly, we're talking about she was, um, I mean, you know, and uh, I guess he's paint may, might be painting her as a little bit too much of a sex symbol, but at the same time, she was one. I, I can't really say one way or the other. I wasn't there. Okay. You know, I, if I had been, she was, she really was not like a huge actress though. Like she no. wasn't a big deal. No, she, but she was just this, kind of blowing up, right? Yeah, or not was, even necessarily blowing up, but she was just new kid on the block. Yeah. She was, she's a hot ticket item. She was married to Roman Polanski. You know, this fresh is, off Rosemary's baby. Yeah. He was a big deal. You know, he was a hot, hot young director from Europe. Um, where's that? Yeah. <laughs> it's where he's hiding right now. Fucking yeah. Pedo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've said everything that I need to say. Yeah, Why I'm, don't have the closing statement. Tom Hush. Um, I think once upon a time in Hollywood is a great film. I think if this is a, it's problematic but all of tarantino cinema is problematic and um if that's if that gets in your way of your enjoyment i think that's fine i think that is valid and i i am not one of these people that is trying to evangelize people to be tarantino fans because tarantino fans can suck they can be some of the worst people on earth and really annoying and totally missing the point um but i think give it a shot um it's a pretty interesting portrayal of a time and a place that is slowly but surely being lost to time um as people who grew up in that time they are dying and uh this is a love letter to that time for all of its flaws and for all of its issues 